0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest podcast offering from Blood Red. Something a little bit different for you today. I'm Matt Addison. I've got two excellent guests alongside me. Peter Hooton. firstly, who you'll be used to hearing, of course, on the allez Le Rouge podcast and also... Dan Kay, who of course pops up across a variety of bits across the Blood Red channel whenever we can get him back in the building. Great to have both of you two alongside me for the show. We're going to have a bit of a chat later on about a project that Peter has been working on, an excellent BT Sport film around the famous Anfield boot room. I was at the premiere last night as we record this show. It's excellent, so looking forward to, to getting into to that a little bit later on. But Firstly, a couple of, of big games, well, more than a couple of big games coming up for Liverpool. So we thought we'd have a little bit of a, a chat about that, about Watford and Benfica. A bit of quadruple chat, I'm sure, will come up at some point as well. Ahead, of course, of the resumption of the proper stuff, club football, after the international break. Peter Old, come to you first. Obviously, Watford 12.30 Saturday on paper, it wouldn't be necessarily one of the biggest games for Liverpool, but it very much is at the start of what could be an absolutely massive period for Liverpool Football Club.
2: Yeah, it's the start of a massive period, as you, as you say. And I think, you know, I think everyone's heart sank, didn't he, when uh, Senegal and Egypt went into extra time the other night. You know, I mean, what a terrible game again. It was just carrying on from the African nations, wasn't it? You know, but... Um, yeah, it's, so it'll depend on you know uh, what t- what what team is available to uh, Jurgen because you know you think they've played extra time you know are they going to be are they going to be starting or is going to go with the likes of Jota who played as well of course but you know it's going to be a big decision isn't it you know and we've also got uh, you know he's got those decisions to make and he's also got to think of the Benfica game as well has not he you know maybe. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting because I was at the Watford game when we won 5-0 and I think it's probably one of our best performances of the season, really, you know, and it was it was absolutely fantastic, total football, you know. Uh, and I've just been looking at the last five results in the Premier League and whoever's won the game uh, between Liverpool and Watford, the opposition haven't scored in the last five games, so we won 5-0, but they've beaten us 3-0, hadn't they, uh, uh, Watford, you know, and you look at... and So, I can't... I can't see watford scoring on on saturday yeah. fingers crossed anyway so hopefully we can go top of the league by two o'clock or quarter past two on saturday
1: yeah, I mean, that would be nice, wouldn't it, Dan? Not just to, to put that little bit of pressure on City, but maybe even make it a little bit more comfortable for for Liverpool. I think that's going to be important. So many matches to come. If they can get themselves a couple of goals up in this, well, maybe then you can make a couple of changes and and think about that. But at the moment, it's just every game is, is so important. You've got to take them all seriously and get them won before you can start thinking about the future.
0: Absolutely. And I think everything we've ever heard, really, out of Jurgen Klopp for the last six years, let alone this season, has always been... Very clearly, he doesn't allow himself or any of his players or his staff to get too far ahead of themselves. Um, they con- you know, focus on what's in front of them and not get carried away with things. But as you say, psychologically, it would be great to go top of the league. I think I'm right in saying it would be for the first time since about October. And when you think it's not so long ago that Liverpool were, what was it, a dozen or so points behind. And a lot of people were saying, well, the league kind of gone. To put ourselves in that position, even if it's only to be for a couple of hours, as I think we all expect, City to win at Burnley later in the day. But obviously, you never know. It's not an easy game. Burnley are fighting for their lives. It's just nice to put the pressure on them. And as you said at the top, Matt, you know, most importantly, it's start. it would be starting off what is arguably going to be one of the most intense, significant passages of matches that Liverpool have arguably ever had. You want to start it with a good, convincing, comfortable win with no injuries and ideally being able to... Get the game well, nice and early. Get some more minutes into legs around the squad, and rest players ahead of obviously a very big European Cup quarter final against Benfica. But then, you know, arguably even bigger games coming after that. Obviously, with a trip to the Etihad weekend after next.
1: Yeah, just one game after another, isn't it, Peter? At the, the moment, yeah. I mean, we've had a little bit of a, a lull for the internationals, but then it's just going to be so full throttle. Are you are you excited? Are you a little bit nervous? What's the, the sort of emotions I think going into this? It's a
2: combination of both. You know, I'm really excited. I'm going to Benfica, but it's a combination of uh, you know excited, but you know, you've always got that uh, City game at the Etihad on your mind, haven't you? Because that's going to be a massive game and. I always thought, if you know, even a couple of months ago when we were behind, I always thought, and we said it on the Alain la Rouge podcast, it will come down to that game. You know, um, whoever wins that game, uh, you know, it'd be great that we we could go there without only having to draw, wouldn't it? You know, but results would have to go for us to do that. But if any team is capable of beating Man City, it's Liverpool, and uh, you know. Remember the last game when they dropped points? It was at Palace, was it? When they were bombarding the Palace goal. And he just thought, they're going to score. They're going to score. And we were all watching and saying, yeah, they're bound to score in the 92nd, 93rd. But it was a bit like that, um, the Chelsea semi final, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. When, you know, um, you'd be missing sitters right at the end. You think, you know, maybe it's written. You just can't, you just don't know, you know. But I think the very fact that they were so far ahead, you could see they started to argue. You could see Pep losing it a bit, you know. I think the, all the pressure is on Man City, I think.
1: Yeah, it's it's going to be a, an intense high-pressure sort of scenario for, for both teams, Dan. I think that's going to be the narrative, isn't it? It's, it's very much Liverpool-Man City, not just in the league, but potentially the Champions League at some point, certainly in the FA Cup semi-final as well. I thought it was interesting from... Jamie Carragher actually earlier this week with some comments around the, the sort of squad depth. Typically, we kind of think of Manchester City as having the bigger squad. They've spent a lot more money than what Liverpool have. But Jamie Carragher, and to be honest, I, I'd probably agree with him. Was was kind of saying, well, maybe it's it's the other way around now. Liverpool have, have maybe got the the better, more rounded squad to go into this period. I mean, where where's your sort of thinking with that? Is 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 Liverpool now in a position where they've got a better squad to call upon than maybe what Pep Guardiola can?
0: I think you could certainly say Liverpool have better better options in the attacking, in, in the striking positions. I don't think Carrick has been the only one to point that out. I think Gary Neville's basically made the same point a number of times on Sky. City have obviously got a lot of exceptional players, a lot of kind of number 10s and attacking midfielders. Obviously, we all, you know, there was a lot of talk supposedly that, that they wanted to buy Harry Kane in the summer. Uh, they didn't. So really, Gabriel Jesus is the only, what you'd call an out and out centre forward. Obviously, they've not, they've been able to score goals throughout the season because, us and them have obviously put such a a, a distance between ourselves and the rest of the league. Um, But I I think maybe until possibly even this season or, you know, yeah, probably this season, I think we all kind of felt City have spent 250 plus million more net than we have. They do have a much better, you know, bigger squad with a lot more depth to it. I think this season has shown that obviously both teams have had injuries from time to time, but, Particularly, you know, th- th- there's three games, isn't there, in the last couple of months where City have, have dropped points. Uh, there was a draw at Southampton and they lost at home to Tottenham, didn't they, obviously, as well as the,
2: yeah.
0: uh, the draw at Crystal Palace. And that's where you've just started to think that is that kind of lack of real, the kind of clinical element that Liverpool have in front of goal, maybe that's what City have been missing. However, I think it would be foolhardy in the extreme to yeah. to, all, to suddenly start making out that they're a busted flush or that, you know, they're, they're going to struggle to score any goals for the rest of the season. They're obviously an outstanding team who have probably in many ways had a bit of a wake-up call in the last month or so, who probably themselves were thinking, well, we've got, we've put a nice little bit of a gap. Is this, is this, is this 2020, 2020 is this last season all over again? And obviously the way that we've reduced the gap and now very much breathing down their neck, they know they're absolutely in a, in a, a dogfight really now for, for for the title. I think the great thing from, from my perspective is, obviously, as Peter said, the game on at the Etihad on the 10th of April is what everyone's been identifying for a long time. Obviously, you can't say it's not going to have a big impact, but I think Liverpool have now got themselves to within striking distance that it's it defeat there wouldn't be fatal. Obviously, I think psychologically it would be very damaging and obviously it's the last thing we would want to happen. Liverpool haven't beaten City, I don't think, since the the 3-1 game in the title season, which is, what, November 2019? feels like about 50 years ago now. So, um, but but e- even after the game at the Etihad, there will be, what, six games left? 18 points to play for? And I think we've seen that w- when seasons get to, like, the real business end like this, there is going to be the odd funny results here and there. I don't think it's going to be, like... 2019, when when each team won every match. I think City have shown that the last few weeks. So, I think Liverpool have just got to be... I agree with what Peter said. I think the pressure's all on them. They've spent all the money. They're the reigning champions. They're the ones who've won, what is it, four out of the last five or three out of the last four. They're the ones who should be in the league. We're the ones now who seem to have the momentum with us, and it's up to us to change that. So, I'm feeling really confident and optimistic. Um, a little bit of nerves, but be, I, you know, in terms of this overall period, I'd say it's Seventy five percent excitement, twenty five percent nervousness for me. I'm, I'm really <laughs> up it, I can't wait. Yeah, and you also it's...
2: think that you also think that City, you know, I have certainly uh, would be thinking of the Champions League as well, because that's the one thing that you know the we haven't been able to achieve, and I think that's that's the one thing that hurts them when the criticism oh, comes in, doesn't it? You know, so I think you know Pep, you know, if you get if you're going to say what he's going to um. um his strongest team for you'd be thinking they'd be thinking of the Champions League, you know. But as yeah. you say, the squad is massive, isn't it? So they can they can replace so many, you know.
0: But just to jump in there, I think Peter's one hundred percent right. There's enormous pressure on City to win the Champions League. That's what Guardiola Guardiola has been brought in to do. They've not, you know, they made a mess of it last season, but also the other aspects of it as well. And obviously, I'm not for one second taking Benfica lightly. Um, you know, Liverpool have to do their due diligence and beat them properly but Atletico Madrid is one of the worst ties they could have had because he only does feel like one of the managers that can get inside Guardiola's head he normally doesn't leave much of an excuse to start overcomplicating things and I think the fact that their tie against Atletico straddles the league game is, is a bonus for Liverpool
1: The Blood Red Podcast
0: from the Liverpool Echo In terms of of
1: Liverpool then, Peter for for the champions yeah. league, I think it's it's fair to say that they're on probably the side of the draw that they would have wanted. Benfica as Dan says, it's it's not going to be easy, yeah. but it will but, be easier. Yeah, there's there's no
2: there's no easy teams now, is there in the, in the uh, in at this stage? And then I've got been looking back at some of the results recently. You know, they beat they beat uh, Barcelona, didn't they? Three nil um, in the group stages, uh, and Bayern Munich hammered them. Uh, mm. five two, I think, but I, in, I, watched the, I watched the highlights of that Barcelona game where Barcelona could beat three 0 and they were very open. Um, Benfica, but Barcelona missed a few chances, but and they took theirs, Benfica. So, you know, I mean, and they're, no, they're no mugs. I mean, but you look at the defense and you think Liverpool can hurt them because you've got the tongue in there, haven't you? You know, he's he's on the wrong age. Wrong side of 34, I think. You know, 35 maybe. Uh, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't absolutely fantastic in the Premier League, was he? You know, he was steady, but he, you know, he was the type of player which, you know, Liverpool thought we can, you know, we can, uh, we can damage him, you know. Uh, so yeah, we're not taking any anything lightly, but I just hope that player Everton plays. You've got a player called Everton in the midfield. <laughs> <haven't you? laughs> uh, Nunes looks quite sharp. uruguay I think yeah. he's been linked with Arsenal, hasn't he? Um, yeah, a few
1: few places linking in with Liverpool as well. Which should, oh, yeah, impressive.
2: he looks he looks quite good. He's only he's a young player, isn't he? You know, but yeah, uh, early twenties. But you know, he looks he looks quite good, and I think he, um, you know, he he had, uh, Ajax. Uh and have also got Silver, haven't he? Uh, is it Rafa Rafa Silva? Yeah, yeah. He, he looks yeah. quite decent. So I don't think the I don't think it's. I mean, everyone was celebrating when we had the draw, but you know we. I think that's a bit premature because there will be a different
1: I think. Yeah, Liverpool still got to take it seriously, Dan. But I just think with this Liverpool team, they they obviously will take it seriously. We've seen it so many times in the past. that You know, it's it's not an easy draw, but it's one that you'd be very surprised, I would say, if Liverpool didn't win and didn't get through.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I was celebrating when we got Ben Vega, but primarily because it was one of the best possible trips. Um, yeah, yeah um,
2: <laughs> I agree with that. Lisbon's <laughs> one
0: of your favourite cities. Yeah. Well, Benfica or I—I I wanted the, win, the winner of Benfica or Ajax. And I probably would have slightly preferred Ajax, but either or, you know, I remember Liverpool playing Benfica a number of times when I was a kid in the eighties. Um, you know, they, they've got a decent side, as, as as Peter said, they did beat Barcelona early in, earlier in the season. But you know, Barcelona have been really struggling. Um, well, they seem to have picked up recently. Obviously, battered Real Madrid the other week, but in the first half of the season, I think I, I think Koeman may still have been manager even even at that point. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, he one of the other group was you know, they, they got they got hammered away to buy Munich, but they also lost 4 0 in the home guy, in the home, yeah, game they did, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah,
0: against Bayern. Yeah. Now, and I if think...
2: you look, if you, uh, Dan, if you looked at that, um, or draw, uh, in the last round against Ajax, that Ajax was the first card, scored... yeah, yeah, I they could the have scored, Ajax could have scored about five in that, you know, yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, they
2: yeah. were wide open, but you know, they got Benfica got the, um, Two or drawn and beat them one nil away, you know. Even
0: though, once again in Amsterdam, Ajax were Bad chances, yeah, fumbling the goal. was a late goal, wasn't it? Last ten yeah. minutes. Um, and, and I think I think I'm right in saying as well they're only the third in the Portuguese league, which you yes. know I think anyone would say is one of the strongest leagues in Europe. Liverpool have obviously played Porto already twice this season, who were above them in the league and beat them very comfortably. So, you know, I. I think obviously the way the fixtures have played out with the City League game after the first leg, and then obviously the City semi-final after the second leg, it would be hugely advantageous if Liverpool could do what they did away to Porto in the group stage, away to Porto in the last sixteen and twenty eighteen. Yeah. Go, you know what what they did away to Inter Milan, although we hope we obviously wouldn't be quite as hairy in the second leg. Go and get go and get the tie won or, or as near as damn it won in the first leg, yeah. and then you can manage the second leg manage minutes manage games obviously ahead of these two titanic matches against city within six days of each other so yeah you know i think we can be confident that liverpool won't take it for granted who knows what benfica you know if benfica play brilliantly over two legs and knock us out fair play to them but if they do i don't think it will be because liverpool have taken their eye off the ball because i just think this team is too professional too yeah. driven too determined and as i've said a number of times over the course of the season yeah. still feel they have unfinished business over the last couple of years it's yeah. a team coming towards the end of a the cycle they need to have more to show for the they need more silverware to show for the incredible football and pleasure they've given yeah. us over the last few years
2: and you just know Dan that, and Matt that as soon as they got drawn Benfica against Liverpool they would have been going oh no Yeah, you know I mean it's obvious isn't it you know yeah. uh, it's yes. just straight through against Ajax you know they're being hammered by Bayern Munich in the group stages you know the last thing they wanted was, was, was
1: Liverpool, wasn't it? Yeah, I think if you ask Benfica at the start of the season, you know, they get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League and they get knocked out, they, they probably would have taken that, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah. So I suppose it's it's a little bit of pressure on Liverpool, but you'd imagine that they'd be able to, to get through. If if they do, obviously it, it's going to be Bayern Munich or, or Real, Dan. You'd imagine probably Bayern are going to win that one. If it was, and we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, we don't want to jinx anything, but if it was a Bayern Munich against Liverpool semi... Again, that'd be a really good game, but again, I'd I'd say that Liverpool have, have got every chance in that.
0: Absolutely, I mean, you know, Liverpool knocked out Bayern on the way to winning the trophy three years ago. Um, obviously, with all the usual caveats about having to get past Benfica first, Bayern are outstanding sides, but their best players are kind of you know are 8, 11 is what thirty three. You know, the interesting aspect that you know it, it, the second leg would be away from home, but that was the case three years ago. And if you, obviously Liverpool didn't even win the home leg, it was nil nil which arguably put Bayern in the driving seat. I, I still feel that was one of the most important nights of the whole Klopp reign because even though we were on this, you know, it was, this was the season with 97 points. We'd have a little bit of a sticky spell in February. We dropped a few couple of points. We drew at Old Trafford, we drew at Everton. There was just a little bit of a sense that maybe things were running out of steam a wee bit. And that result, 3-1 in the Allianz Arena, really kind of breathed new life and breathed new energy into the season. And we basically won every match. <laughs> right up until the end, didn't we? Yeah, so yeah. yeah, it it it's got all the makings of an absolute classic semi final. Obviously, you know, it, it, there's a nice little time to history. I'm sure Peter will remember 1981. I was only, I turned four the day of the final, the, the, the day we beat <laughs> Real Madrid in Paris. So I can't remember it too yeah. well. But obviously, everyone knows about Ray Kennedy and Howard Gale. Yeah, yeah. It just feels like a a proper European big European cup match yeah. that yeah that's part of our heritage and history. So it, it's it's a mouthwatering prospect, but mm. Let's sort Benfica first.
1: Yes, yeah. absolutely. In terms of the the draw, Peter, how important do you think is it that we've avoided having to play an English team? Because I think that's that's yeah. one thing I definitely didn't want.
2: Yeah, I mean that was the one thing we didn't want, you know, because you know, we are playing City in the cup as well, you know, and and you know, uh, Chelsea in the League Cup recently, you just you just want to avoid them, yeah. So, you know, Villarreal or Benfica was everyone was hoping for them. We got one of them, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really important that I think. You know, I mean, obviously, I think if you're looking at it like Liverpool, City, and Chelsea are probably the best teams in Europe, and it's inevitable. You know, it you know it could be meeting them in the in the uh, in one of those teams in the final. You know, and just imagine that. You know, it's the domination really of uh, the Premier League, isn't it? Again,
0: you know. Uh, which, which, which it was a couple of years ago, wasn't it? I think there was a couple yeah. of seasons in the late 2000s when yeah. I think 07, 08, 08, 09, three out the last four were English teams. The big yeah. thing for me was not getting City in the quarter because yeah. we, all, we always knew that game was going to straddle the league game. Yeah. And obviously now Liverpool have drawn them in the FA Cup. It, yeah. it, if it had to have been, that would have been four consecutive matches against City, which just would have been made everyone's. Yeah. That would have been. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it would have been ridiculous, wouldn't it? Yeah, but you know, the up. um, you know, th- when you were talking there, Dan, about the um, possible semi final, not getting ahead of ourselves, but second leg in Munich. Well, guess where the final was in '81? It was in Paris, of course, yes. you know.
0: Omens, <laughs>
2: yeah. let's well, not dwell uh, like, on that.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: one thing is for sure and that is that there's plenty of things to be excited about for Liverpool fans over the course of the next few weeks and you can add one more thing to that list as well I mentioned the the latest BT Sport documentary the Boot Room Boys a little bit earlier on in the show and that's what we're going to finish the podcast by talking about because Peter you were a big part of of putting that together you've narrated it as well what was the kind of of process like for that It, it must have been a really enjoyable one to put together
2: it was, you know, it was absolutely fascinating to see how it developed, you know, because it's based on the book I, I wrote here called *The Boot Room Boys*. And I just got an email last summer, out the blue, of someone from BT Sport there uh, they, he were, he'd been reading the book. He wasn't a Liverpool fan, but he was a director, and he said he thinks it's a fascinating story, a rags-to-riches story from the nineteen fifties and the doldrums and the second division, and then the catalyst, Bill Shankly coming. And then the dynasty that created, uh, you know, that went on for like decades, and become and made Liverpool be, become a bastion invincibility. You know, so I didn't really know how he how, how he was going to do it. But then he said, "Have a look at my other documentaries." So he did the one on George Best, he did the one on Jimmy Greaves, he did the one on United, too good to go down. He also did the one on Betty, our club. So I looked at them and I thought, you know this fella's going to make a good job of this, you know. His name's Tom Boswell. Uh, and from the very start, uh, he was obsessed with it, about getting the getting the right interviews, getting the right music. And luckily, you know, we got most of the interviews that we wanted. And, um, you know, when at the premiere the other night, uh, Roy Evans was obviously the only survivor member of that boot room, you know, the, of the original boot room anyway. um He was in tears. And he just, he said, he just turned around and said, thank you. Thank you. You've captured the spirit of what it was about. Um, and it was really, it's one of the greatest sporting stories ever told. And I don't think it's been given, you know, enough credence really over the years, you know, and it was just an honour to be able to pay homage to these people who were my heroes growing up as a kid. And the very fact that, you know, now I can be involved in a documentary, uh, the Pays tribute to them really, and honors them for what. And because they were very humble men, apart from Shankly, who wanted to do every interview ever, or and like he was like, he was a demagogue, wasn't he? You know, he was just a messiah. You know, Paisley didn't want the job, and Joe Fagan didn't want the job. You know, they were they were reluctant heroes, and I think that comes across, especially when um, you you see Paisley didn't like getting interviewed. You know. Fagan was a little bit better with the press but you can see him in, in the film that he's you know he he, he just says oh you know uh, I'm, I'm only here for the rest of the lads because if I didn't take it we'd all get the sack type of thing so it was like almost like a trade union but they were almost like almost like the um, I, I resemble it to you know, the old uh, when you look at the Godfather movies and that you know it was all a murder and nothing comes out the boot room the boot room was the think tank and no one snitched on each other and you know and uh, Bill Shankley, when he first arrived at Anfield and Ruben Bennett was there, um, Paisley and Fagan were all there. And he said, look, I want to I keep you on your jobs. I know your characters because he'd come across them in the past. He said, all I want from you is hard work and loyalty. And he kept on emphasising loyalty. He said, if anyone comes to me with a story about some other person, it's the person who comes with the story who's shown the door. And from that moment on, the dynasty was created. You know when he did transform, you know Anfield into a bastion of invincibility. You know, and the very fact that Paisley, even when he won the European Cup, he just said, "Well, Bob built the house; I just put the roof on." You know, and he, do we even humble in the in the in the glory days?
1: Yeah, some excellent footage all the way through the the documentary. It is really well worth having a, a look at, and part of it is is with Jurgen Klopp as well. You, you spoke to to him and, and some of of his coaching team. I mean, it, yeah. it's quite clear within the documentary that he gets it, doesn't he? He really understands what the boot room culture is about, and he's really keen to to have that in the modern day as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic that we got uh, Jurgen and Pep and Peter Clavitz, you know, to do it because, you know, we we were waiting. A, 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 a while to get that interview, you know, and he agreed to do it. And it was agreed after we'd just beaten Manchester United at Old Trafford. <laughs> so he was in a fantastic mood, you know, and I think, um, you know, obviously, he's creating his own history and I was there to emphasise, look, this isn't about really about you talking about the boot room. I wanted you to talk about the modern setup, and he, it's fantastic in there, he said there. And we didn't, we, you know, we, we didn't ask him to say this. He just said, we see our our setup up uh, and there's a little bar we have that his wife has designed a little area for them to go after matches. We call it the boot room reloaded and it was just a brilliant moment you know and it was you know interviewed uh, Pep as well and Peter Kravitz and you could see the affection, but it was that natural enthusiasm that Bill Shankley always used to talk about. they are obsessed with football, they are obsessed with football and I think. I th- there's no doubt about it. I think you know Klopp is the nearest thing to that great motivator that we had in Bill Shankly.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting listening to to Peter Kravitz as well. Obviously, we hear a lot from Jurgen Klopp and, and Pep Linders, but don't often get to to hear from him. So that was was really interesting. I mean,
2: yeah, he's got a really deep voice, has not he? He like, has, yeah. You know, like <laughs> an act, like an actor, a, a baddie in a porn movie, isn't he?
1: <laughs> yeah, he's got an excellent voice, and, and the stuff that he was saying was was excellent as well. I mean, Dan, in, in terms of, of when Jurgen Klopp moves on, Liverpool are going to have to. Don't to, say to,
2: that. Don't say that.
1: <laughs> I know it's it, it is going to happen at some point. Hopefully, not anytime soon. But I mean, there's there's people in there. You you look at someone like Pep, for example, yeah. his assistant. You look at the structure around that. I'll, I'll yeah. bring you, Dan, on, in on this one. I mean, is there, is there a kind of, of opportunity, do you think, to, to have a kind of modern-day version of, of what has been before in terms of that promotion from within? It, it might not necessarily be that Pep Linders becomes that man, but you'd like to think that they keep the structure and the framework there to work within in future.
0: You would like to think so, wouldn't you? I mean, obviously, the, 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 the subject of Klopp's future has been something that we've, you know, as this, as this golden era has progressed... always been this nagging doubt in the back of your mind well he can't go on forever how do you follow on from this obviously he signed his new contract in december 2019 which obviously that takes him up to 2024 he's been asked you know various questions about his future in maybe the last year to 18 months and has given a variety of kind of vague answers that kind of don't really make things any clearer as you know, the, the sad reality is, as Matt said, is as much as we want him to, we can't be Liverpool manager forever. The one thing that I've said and kind of thought myself and said to people in over the last couple of years is the one thing that obviously it'll be a devastating moment because it's it's not just about winning trophies and being successful. It's about the worst times in Liverpool's history, in the modern history, for example, you know, under Hicks and Gillette under Hodgson, as far as I was concerned, was the loss of identity. When it, it didn't feel like you were watching Liverpool, it didn't feel like this was the Liverpool I Grew up with and fell in love with. That's part of our birthright and heritage. And I think one of the most important things Klopp's done is that he's really reinforced and strengthened, and and in some ways maybe even diversified that identity. But but you know, and I'm not just talking about in terms of playing style, but in terms of ethos and mentality and values and that type of thing. So I, I do take confidence in the fact that it seems like the club. And I think you know, I do think we have we've got to, we've got to give the owners a certain degree of credit here as well. I think the club now, and we, we don't have to look too far, arguably our two greatest rivals, Everton and Manchester United, you know, the infrastructure of our club now, I think is much better placed to cope with the loss of a great manager, a great player than others are, because I think we've we've adapted with the times and kind of strengthened ourselves to be able to cope with, you know, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune the game will throw at us. But, um, you know... <laughs> Line has, has, has been talked of as a potential Klopp successor for a long time. I think in a, it it's a lovely idea in principle. Whether it would work in practice, who knows? But it, you know, it would. In my more cynical moments, I've kind of thought, well, is he just wanted? You know, the, there's been numerous examples. Colin Harvey at Everton, for example, fantastic assistant, couldn't really cut it as. As a manager, I'd even maybe even go so far as to say I have huge respect and admiration for, for everything he's done for the club. Roy Evans, who Peter was talking about just before, an absolute intrinsic, massively valuable part of those success for thirty-five years. But unfortunately, as a manager, didn't quite deliver what he would have hoped to have done. Ultimately, yeah, the, the the proof of the puddings and the eating isn't it? We won't know until it actually happens. But I just feel I feel a lot more relaxed about it now than I would have done say five years ago because I just think the. The general building blocks commercially into so, you know recruitment, all the di- you know the academy, all the different aspects of a super club like Liverpool are, are now in the right place. So we yeah. should be able to withstand the loss of one individual. But Klopp is unique, as Peter said, closest yeah. thing to Shanti will ever get, and he is irreplaceable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Peter. In in terms of that legacy, I mean that that could be what Dan's talking about there. That could be one of his biggest legacies. I mean, there's there's lots yeah. of legacies that Klopp will leave behind, but but that could be yeah. one of them.
2: It could be, it could be. And you know, I just hope you know he's here to he's signed to 2024, is he? You no, know, yeah. another couple. Of, I mean, I just hope he maybe gives, gets another extension. You know, another couple of years. You know, uh, but yeah, I think someone like Pep, you know could be a successor. You, you just don't know. Do you? It's, it's hard to say. But, you know, he seems to have that um, belief and that enthusiasm that... Uh, but, you know, if you look at Klopp, I think in many ways he's irreplaceable. But that's what we thought about Shankly when he retired. And that's what we sh- thought about Paisley when he retired. And it was that dynasty that shankley was able to build. And hopefully uh, that comes across in the film, you know, and hopefully that's why we wanted... Uh, the modern setup included. So not too much talking about the old days, but, you know, what it means to be part of a collective a team all working together for the good of the club, you know. And I think that's it. That's what happened. And that's why someone, the brain boo had to leave because something went on, you know. Uh, something went on, which we don't really know. Um, but, you know, it's become stronger since then, hasn't it? If you think about it, it's become stronger.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Even when he left, people wondered what might come next, how big a part of it was he? But then Pep Linders has, has stepped up and yeah, become yeah, that yeah. person. So yeah, really, really interesting. Just before we finish, one last question, Peter. I wanted to ask you what was the, the kind of thing that you, you learned most from, from doing the documentary, obviously the, the book? is what it's based on as well. Was the was there something that you kind of maybe changed your mind on or, or maybe developed an idea around the, the boot room as you, you sort of unfolded? Uh, during the
2: this? book, it was like, it was finding out that Shankley had to battle day in, day out to convince the board uh, the potential of the club. Uh, and he had to battle all the time. He wanted to originally buy Jack Charlton and players like that. Uh, and he said, what, because the board didn't give him the money for that, that made Leeds stronger in the 60s, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but we wouldn't have got Ron Yeats, you know, and 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 that was part of the jigsaw. So, you know, it's it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? But Shankly having to battle all the time. And also the recommendations that Matt Busby recommended Shankly for the job, you know. Uh, and I think when he put the phone down to Liverpool, he told his assistants, I might come to regret that decision, you know, to tell them to... At Shankly, and also the fact that John Moores in 1960 had shares in Liverpool, but he was also elected chair of Everton. So what he did is he nominated Eric Sawyer as chief financial director at Littlewoods to be um, to to look after the shares at Anfield, and it was Eric Sawyer who who Bill Shankly homed in on and convinced Eric Sawyer said, "You've got to tell this board if we buy these players, St John and Yeats." This will transform the club, and basically, it was up. to Eric Sawyer I had to convince them, and it, it, it's almost like now the financial director of uh, Microsoft or Amazon or that going into Liverpool's board and telling them we've got to buy these players. they would listen to them, wouldn't he? You know, because in those days, little words with this multi-million-pound organization. But the interesting thing is, John Moores backed Everton to be the big. The you you know the massive club you know and that's where the World Cup was in '66. So yeah, they were very interesting uh, things that I, I learned about the setup because as far as everyone's concerned, you know Liverpool and Everton because of Shankly were neck and neck in the '60s. But as soon as, as soon as we started winning in Europe and Everton went on um, a downward spiral and Liverpool just became a, a massive global club, you know. And in those days, in the 60s, you know, I remember as a kid in the 70s going to Anfield. But I remember going to Goodison as well, you know, going past Goodison, you know, because me and Anne lived right by Anfield. So I'd get off the bus and go past Goodison. And Everton had all these coaches from all around the UK, from Ireland, Scotland, Wales. And when Liverpool played their own, there was a, a, f- a couple, two or three coaches. And, I used to, and Everton had just won the league, you see. Uh, so I was thinking, you know, they're a massive club, Everton. You know, I was a, bit, a little bit jealous when I was you know, a school kid, you know. Uh, they, they're they a massive club and, you know, the—you know, they won the league 69-70. And then as soon as Liverpool started to win the UEFA Cup and the, uh, the European Cup, we just dwarfed them, you know, and it became this, you know. So you can understand why Evertonians are so frustrated because, you know, they had everything there. They had everything there and John Moores backed them. He was the amazing million. They called them amazing millionaires. Yeah. They were buying players we couldn't afford, you know. And it was all down to Shankly persuading Eric Sawyer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it is. It is really interesting stuff. The latest BT Sport documentary, "The Boot Room Boys," well, well worth checking out. It will yeah. premiere on BT Sport three at ten thirty PM on Tuesday, the fifth of April, which is about half an hour after full time in the Champions League quarterfinal. first leg against Benfica. If you can't watch it at that time, if, like Dan, you're on your way to Portugal or various other things that are going on at the time, it will also be available on the BT Sports app anytime after it's been on air. And for more information, you can visit btsport.com. But for now, I think that's just about all we've got time for. Thank you very much to Peter and to Dan for joining me on the podcast. We'll be back with another show very soon indeed.
0: You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.